So let, let's get into the verse, which is 1 John 5, 14 to 15. You may not be able to see this. I've tried to use more picture-based verses, as it were, to you know just mix it up a bit. But anyway, 1 John 5, 14 to 15. And it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Let's unpack this and see what God has got for us today. Um, I spoke last week how we often do not hear uh, each other. We don't fully listen to one another. Um, what each other is saying. Just generally in life, we, we tend to assume things about what someone's about to say or during a conversation. And we don't always have a desire to hear and understand what the other person's saying. Um, and that happens quite often. Uh, but this week, we learn about how God wants to hear from us, how he wants to hear everything we have to say. Uh, whether he and how he responds is entirely up to him, and that's as we believe in the authority, we call it the authority of God, that he responds how he responds according to his will and character. Uh, but he does want to hear from us, and we're going to learn about how in understanding that, in God hearing us, it can drive us to commit to increase our prayer life. Probably more so than we, than we anticipated. Um, but as I, as I was preparing for this, and the reason why I said what I said earlier this morning is come from this as well, that God's done a, a bit of revealing uh, in this as well to me about how we need to use our time together really well just to all about worshipping God and trying to support one another and, and pray for one another and all those things that Acts talks about and uh, many other parts of the Bible. Um, but prayer for us as Christians uh, is not something we should be doing because we feel we have to. Uh, we shouldn't be praying because we feel we have to pray. And I don't mean by that that if God inspires you to pray, you have to pray, absolutely. If it's a case of just, this is what I do all the time, not just here, anywhere, anywhere you might pray, personal time, private time, whatever, that you don't feel that you're just following a pattern. Prayer is, is a wonderful gift uh, to release uh, God's people uh, from sin, from all sorts of uh, powers that will try to take us away from God. And actually prayer is our protection. Prayer is our armour in this. So we don't do it just because it's just what we've done. It doesn't come from a place of religiosity. But prayer should form part of our joy and therefore part of our faith in God. It should come from this overflow, as the Bible describes. And I have a faith I can't describe. I couldn't say it in, in a very practical, descriptive way. So it comes out in prayer. It comes out in a celebration of who he is. Uh, and maybe we, we've lost the, the focus of prayer or the purpose of prayer. But this is what it's for. Prayer is not this extra add-on to our faith. It's not, it's not something we do as, a, as, as an add-on to what we already do, or what we already believe. It's part, it's integral to our faith. It's a component of our faith. So John 16, verse 24, uh, says, 
Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. If we have a true faith in Jesus, if that's what we've professed, and we say that to one another as we worship God as well, we, we're professing. In whatever way you want to describe that, we're professing a faith in Jesus when we pray for things that we think is on God's heart. As best as we can, we want to align ourselves with God. So we pray, and that's our faith. Our faith is, is one that continually works to align ourselves with him. Prayer helps in that as well. Prayer helps to align ourselves with his will. So we can understand that prayer is necessary to know and experience the full joy of God. And so often we can just take prayer as maybe just a, I can do this anytime. I can just do it whenever I feel like it. But there are times when it's just, it's good to, to pray about this, this stuff right here. I, I'm, I'm, I find it hard to describe this to you. I've gone through this sermon so many times to try to describe what I'm about to tell you today. It's just, it's one of those things that we will need to talk about afterwards. It's one of those things you'll probably need to ask me questions about. But I love this verse because until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Um, what they were doing, they were asking Jesus about why he was saying, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to, all these things. And they were asking questions, but they weren't asking in his name. They weren't doing it as in, uh, oh, in Jesus' name. They weren't praying. They weren't asking him. They were just asking questions. And actually, uh, as you go through this verse, you'll find that what the disciples do is then say, you've made it clear. You've stopped speaking in parables. Because Jesus said, I'm going to stop speaking in parables. I'm going to stop speaking in these, I'm going to speak plainly and straight to you. And they go, yeah, now we understand. We don't need to ask any more of those questions. Now we need to ask in the name of Jesus. Prayer to the Father, prayer to Jesus. Different type of questioning, different type of asking. They were asking earthly questions. Why are you leaving us? Why are you going away? Ah, oh, now we get it, Jesus. I don't even know the timeline of John 16, 24 or that, that actual chapter. I've not checked it. I imagine it's quite some way as we will probably be the same. We'll probably be quite slow in understanding what Jesus was trying to say. And up until this point, he then speaks plainly and then starts describing plainly what is actually going to happen. He says, now you're going to ask in my name. You haven't asked for anything in my name. He just asked you about these things, these earthly things, these things that you're worried about. But he's Jesus. Son of God. It's a mindset change. What's going on here is Jesus trying to say, you, you're looking at earthly. You need to look at kingdom. Change how you're seeing this. Understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. So when we look at this verse in particular, um, when we ask for things in God's name, we should know that we're asking in God's will. We should know that we're asking of what's on God's heart. Now, when you put that into context, just understand this for a second. It's not about asking just for things. I'm not, 
I, I think I know that you know that. But understand the concept. When we pray, you are asking for things that are the will of the Father. Just understand that the, the majesty of that, the grandness of that. When I pray, I'm seeking to understand the will of God. Not that my own will is, is, is winning. Not that my own will wins out. I'm saying, what's the will? What's the will of God? I'm going to wrestle with this until I understand what is on the will, what is the will of the Father, so that when I pray, I'm praying the will of the Father. And just like this verse here, in particular, just want to focus on uh, asking for things, asking for things in Jesus' name. Uh, you might know that in Acts they were invoking Jesus' name, um, but they were not doing it in accordance with his will. Some Jews were going out and they were driving out evil spirits saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul, Paul preaches, I command you to come out. They were going around and they were saying these things and eventually after one day, the evil spirit had, had enough and saw right through them. And he says, the evil spirit, as they're praying over this person or these people, in Jesus' name, I hope the evil spirit then says, hang on a minute. I know the faith you're talking about of Paul. I know that faith. I know the Jesus that you talk about as well. But I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't know the faith that you speak of. And do you know what happens? They get beaten. The evil spirit leaps out of the people they're trying to pray to release the evil spirit, but not in that same faith. And instead, the evil spirit, knowing that they don't really have the faith of Jesus Christ, jumps out and beats them. Read in Acts, it will tell you that they got beaten. They get a beating of a lifetime by the evil spirit and run away. You see, when I say about the, the will of the Father, if, you're, if we're not careful here, this is, I'm not saying you're going to get beaten up by an evil spirit, but understand just the, just the gravity of what we're doing here. When we pray, we're trying to gauge the Father's will. It's no small thing, and Acts describes this very well. And from that day, what happened after that, when they saw that, they started holding Jesus in high honour. And they burned all the, all the scrolls and all the witchcraft stuff that they had. And they burned it all. And from that point, they were in fear, trembling of, of the Lord. They acknowledged that they were not in line with God's will. That to change their life, understand what it is to have faith in Jesus. I don't think I have this here, but it says, uh, it says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. When they saw that, they could not deny that what they were all doing was effectively using the gift, the power of, of God to benefit themselves. So you might see that people lay hands on people for evil spirits, but if there's no faith, just like in Acts here, this is what's happening. The evil spirit jumps out and he beats them. Because even the evil spirit knows who God is. Even the evil spirits know who Jesus is. The evil spirits knew who Paul was. 
and he's going to know who we are if our faith is not in Jesus. I've spoken last few weeks about being prepared, reading the word. The word will protect us from this stuff. If I have a true faith in Jesus, I understand, try to drive towards this understanding of maturing, learning more about him. That's where our shield is. That's where our protection is. But what it tells us is that prayer is powerful. They held Jesus in high honour from that day and prayed and worshipped him. Prayer is powerful and exposes things of the heart, exposes our state of alignment and our sincerity towards God. God knows how sincere we are. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. That's not it. (laughs) That's the next one. I forgot to put this one up. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Uh, We just sung a song. Our last song was calling to him, wasn't it? Calling to God. Because we're trying to understand who he is, aren't we? In our prayer, we're trying to search those things of God to understand who he is. Prayer does that. Jeremiah was being told by God in this verse, not the one on the screen, was being told by God about the great promise of the restoration of his people. The whole chapter of 33 is just this great introduction of how God is about to do a fantastic work. A great work of restoration. And prayer is this call, what we see here. Prayer is a call to God to restore us, align us to his will. Prayer is a determination to align our will with his. Luke 22, verse 42. says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. How many times have we seen that verse? In the face of a, a terrible situation, have we prayed anywhere like this, any, any close, close to this verse? A situation that seems so insurmountable, so horrible and terrible, and yet, not my will, but your will be done. God delights in hearing and responding to prayers. But here is where we start getting a bit more challenging in this sermon this morning, if it hasn't already. We must avoid being sinful or selfish in those prayers. We must avoid imposing our will on God's will. God does not respond well to unrepentant prayers. I hope this is here. Key one. Isaiah 1, verse 15 and 16. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. It then goes on to say, sorry, next one down. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Israel had lost its focus 
on God as the Father. Uh, if you read um, at the beginning of this chapter, uh, it just speaks of this rejection of God. God's people have rejected him. And what they do is they then try and fix it by coming to him with sacrifices and all sorts of things. They come to him and say, and, and prayers and many, many sacrifices. And yet God says, no. You might think that's unfair, but it's fair. The issue that they were not dealing with was, was unrepentance. They were not repentant of what they had done. And they wanted to stay in that state of unrepentance and at the same time come and do their sacrificing and their worshipping and their praise. God says, but you haven't dealt with the core. The prayers don't mean anything. If Where it's coming from is a, is a bad place, is, is an unfixed, broken place. You haven't repented. It doesn't mean anything. God says to them, nothing they do in sacrifice and offerings to him means anything. Because their approach is not sincere. They come with requests and prayers that have no heart of repentance. No intention of alignment with God's will and therefore does not qualify of God's attention. Psalm 66, verse 18, which is not there again. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's the wrong verse. I missed one. 60, Psalm 66, verse 18, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You see the pattern occurring here. There is a sense of we want to hold on to things that, you know, sin is called sin for a reason. It, it that's actually quite makes you feel nice. To some degree, it feels nice in the flesh. But there's an acknowledgement here that if we hold on to that and not give repentance, not come with repentance then prayers are not heard by him. Our approach to God can only be one of genuine, heartfelt, selfless prayer. No selfish agenda, no opinion that is of our own. Prayer is not to be used to admonish the church. Prayer is not to be used to bring an opinion about the church. An opinion All prayer, all scripture is for edifying. Correction is different. When you bring correction, we do that in a different way. We don't come with an agenda that I don't like how things are being done, so I'm going to tell everyone about it through prayer. It's not how this works. It is dishonoring of God to do that. And you may disagree with me, but I think it's true. It's dishonoring to take my opinion and impose it on God that that somehow means that's what God is saying. It is wrong in all cases. My agenda means nothing compared to God's agenda. No opinion that is of our own, but one that is aligned to his will. We need prayer that is determined to seek renewal and change in ourselves as and when God requires it of us through obedience.
Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In, this, in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in idol or swear by false God. Before we ask anything of God, we must first confess to him the sin that we are convicted of. That was the other one. Uh, Psalm 66, the wrong way around. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I cherished the next to in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let me go on. 1 John 1, 8 to 9. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When we speak of confession, we speak of admitting our sin to God. But this is what has been revealing to me in doing this uh, particular sermon this week, is when you look at the translation of the word confess. In the context specifically of 1 John 8-9, to it does mean the general thing of admitting things to God. But in this case, it means something else as well. It means a lot more. And I hope this is on here again. This word. You're going to say, how do you pronounce it? And I hope this works too. There you go. <laughs> so now you know, hom- homologel. Now I said that, I, before I heard that actual, how it should actually be pronounced, I said it completely wrong. So I thought, you know what, let's learn what it actually has actually pronounced and then we can all say it, okay? Homologel, homologel. Okay. And there's a phonetic uh, spelling if you need to understand how to pronounce it. Uh, but it does mean to declare and admit. It does mean to declare something to God, to admit something to him. But it also means, this is something I didn't actually realize it did mean, and it's to speak the same or to agree with God. To speak the same and to agree with God. Now, if you join the dots, aligning with his will is confessing. Confessing sin to agree with God or about our sin is aligning ourselves with him. You see, what we've sometimes taken confession of sin to be is just the admission, is just the declaration. And actually what we're doing is we're agreeing with God about what he said sin is. We're saying, Lord, I agree with you about my sin. I agree with you about how you define sin and what that is and the sin that I've done. I agree with God. We are agreeing with God about our sin. And this is powerful because it means that the confession part of our prayer forms part of the alignment. 
We so often maybe we just separated it. We've just said, I'm gonna I'm gonna say confess my sin and then we're gonna get into worship and pray to God and ask for things. And yet what we're missing on is this confession of sin which aligns us with God. Actually helps us to bring alignment. And so you're gonna ask you might ask the question, how do I know the will of God? Confess sin to him. There are many ways, but one of them is confess sin to him. Sin in your heart, sin in wherever you think it might be, confess it to him. That begins the process of alignment with him. Confession of sin itself brings us in alignment with God's will so that we can know the will of God. And this approach of confession of sin in relation to the will of God uh, is shown in Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see a pattern occurring here? The pattern is that we don't behave like the world, and if we want to understand God's will, any behavior where it is worldly, we take to him and say, I want to understand where I'm being worldly and not in the will of God, not understanding what he is saying or who, what he wants me to do. So I'm no longer in the pattern of the world anymore. I'm saying I want, to be out, I want to come out of that. But in order to do that, we must give all sin to him, confession of sin, to begin that process of aligning ourselves with him. There's a quote from Moody, uh, D.L. Moody, who says, Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. Conforming to the world leaves us in sin, but by recognizing that we need to be transformed, confessing sin, removing worldliness, we can test and approve what God's will is. Hence, my statement at the beginning of this service. We are not here to be worldly. When we meet together, we're here to approve, test God's will and say, what is God's will for this place? What is God's will for each of our lives? That can't be done by talking about the weather. We come here specifically to meet with our Lord and Saviour, to come and speak to him and to understand his will. We must be prepared to expose the darkness of our hearts to him who is in the light. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 7, says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God's will is for us to walk in the light. It's not to guilt trip us. It's not for us to feel guilty. Guilt is a trick by Satan. 
Because you know what guilt does? It just wants to make you feel better. Offloading guilt just wants to make you feel better. That's not what God does. Jesus brings new life. He took sin and he removed it. He, he made a way for it to be forgiven. It's more than guilt. It's, it's so much more, so much better than guilt. It's not to say that means you can go and do whatever you want. Read Romans. Romans will tell you all about that stuff. It will tell you all about how we should behave. And therefore, should we just go on sinning then if we don't have to feel guilty? Of course not. It's not about guilt. It's about life. Life in Jesus. It's for us to have fellowship with him. Confession of sin through prayer brings the darkness into light. Another quote, Spurgeon. says, it does not spoil your happiness to confess your sin. How often have you had that kind of experience that confessing sin is, will make you unhappy? That if we do that, it's very negative. It makes me feel very low and sad. But to understand confession of sin is not to spoil your happiness. The unhappiness is, not, is in not making the confession. If we don't make the confession, that's why we are unhappy. Does that make sense? So when I say when we're looking at confession of sin and, and looking at it differently, this is what I'm talking about. The unhappiness is in not making the confession. Do you know why that is? It's because it just lives in there. It just lives in your heart, right at the bottom, and all it's doing every day is just getting at you all the time. No confession, that's what it's doing. Sin is just eating at you all the time. And yet, with confession, there's no ritual to go through. There's nothing we need to sacrifice. With one, maybe a few words of confession about that sin, it is lifted. And yet we choose, because I can attest to this, we choose to not confess all of it, because we think we can deal with it. We think it's better if we just bob along. And yet what it does, it affects every part of our life, our speech, the way we talk to one another, and the way we treat one another. Confession of sin should not be, should not cause unhappiness. It should release us into joy. That incomplete joy that we spoke about earlier, that's what it's talking about. When we confess sin, it's going into that. You have not experienced joy yet. And actually, we still are experienced, even when we confess, you know what, when the kingdom, that joy, that's a different level. That's biblical, in a different level. The joy that we experience in heaven, we work, when we're worshipping, when we go to him, go back to him, my goodness, we can't even describe. But it is a different level. But for now, we are conf confessing sin, practising so that we can release, God's word can release us from the power of sin. James 5, verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. <gasps> Whoa, hold on a second. James, what are you talking about? Therefore confess your sins to each other. What are you talking about? Are you saying that we should confess to one another? Yes, he is saying that. Admit your sins to each other. 
In this context, by the way, confess means to admit. Just to admit. Because it's, it's with one another. It's not with God. It's with one another. So it's just to share, just to admit to one another of our sin. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And here it is. As we come to the end, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When isn't it powerful and effective? What did we learn earlier? When isn't it powerful and effective? When we don't confess sin. Would you agree? When we confess sin, the same principle being described by James, that's it. Prayer is unleashed. It's powerful and effective. When we are free from sin because we confess it to God, prayer is exactly what it says it is. God listens, God hears, God does. I'm not saying he answers your requests, but he does what he needs to do. And so we see this link between John and James. If we are intentional and genuine in walking in the light with God, repenting of our sin, we have fellowship with the Lord. When we have fellowship with him, we can have true fellowship with one another. That's powerful. And sometimes we try and shortcut. Sometimes we look for the fellowship without really seeking confession of sin from God. And you wonder why fellowship doesn't work sometimes. Because we were holding on to sin. So in that order, he says, biblically, confess it to God, tell him all your sin, he will forgive you, and then once that's done, we come together and we can have true fellowship with one another because we're released from sin. Then we speak to one another plainly and we say, I, I did this. And yes, you might be right if you're thinking, James might be talking about specific sin in that we're sinning against one another. Comes back to Corinthians or comes back to, um, it's completely gone out of my head, uh, but it comes back to where we might admit to one another that we have done wrong to each other without knowing that the other person, the other person doesn't know. You see what I mean? Let me say that again. So, confession of sin, maybe in this context, needs more fleshing out. Bear with me. Confession in this context might be going to your brother and sister and saying, I kind of were treating you like this, actually. And they go, I didn't realise. Didn't even notice you were treating me like that. Yeah, it's wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And then there's forgiveness. By the way, I want to just teach you very quickly. When someone approaches you and asks you for forgiveness, you are commanded to forgive. There is no debate. There is no haggling. With a genuine heart that someone comes to you and says, will you please forgive me? It is on that person to forgive them. But if they're a Christian, the command is to forgive them. And in that sense, I don't really care if you agree with me or not. I know that to be biblically true. We're commanded to forgive. If we are to be like Jesus, then we are to forgive. We cannot switch and change and slightly change the rules when it works for us. When we want to hold over unforgiveness over people, it's unacceptable. We are called to forgive one another. We can confess to God and one another, shine in the light, not because it's awkward, but because it sets us free. 
and we are healed. And so after all that, after going all through this, after acknowledging our weaknesses, honouring Jesus, seeking righteousness through Jesus, knowing that if we're not living in truth, knowing that if we are not living in truth, we do not walk in fellowship. And understanding that our confession is powerful in destroying the strongholds of sin. What, after all, does this all mean for prayer? What does prayer become if we approach it in how God commands us to approach it? The clue is in the verse. It becomes powerful and effective. Knowing God desires to hear from us in order that we may be changed and transformed, knowing that prayer is powerful and effective in its truest form can give us a desire to increase our commitment to pray, to ultimately worship God in prayer. If you understand, and the reason why I focus on confession of sin, if we get to grips with what that means in prayer, prayer is powerful. God listens and God does what he does. Do you understand how it's important to talk about confession of sin not to make you feel bad, or to make you feel good, in fact? I'm speaking from Scripture. That's all this is about. Confession of sin is powerful in breaking the chains of sin. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to say the blessing to one another. Uh, and then you are welcome to stay. Uh, there'll be a few minutes whilst you, whatever you want to do, go home and whatever. It's entirely up to you, but uh, there will still be a service for a little while longer just to praise and worship him. So uh, uh, just be uh, invited if you feel you can, and it'd be great. So Father, we thank you for the message uh, that is incredibly challenging that, I, Father, I've uh, personally wrestled with Uh, in understanding the confession of sin, but also the power of the release that that brings. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, that we have a way to confess, that you have allowed a way for us to confess this sin to you that we do, uh, that maybe, not maybe, that we are struggling with. Father, we're all, every day, struggling with some kind of sin. But Lord, we can read your word and understand that the moment we bring light to it, it is broken. It no longer has a hold over us. It no longer enslaves us. But prayer sets us free to pray to our holy God who is powerful in all things who will release us from sin through redemption. Father, we thank you that we can come to approach a holy God who is all-powerful in forgiveness and love towards your people. Father, you are awesome. And Father, we just want to Acknowledge and worship you today and just say thank you, Father, for everything you've done and are doing and will do. Well, we, we want to seek you more, grow in you more, mature as Christians, Father, that we understand what it takes to be a disciple. Father, we ask you to be with us this week as we go about our 
daily business and our, our whatever work and, and places we need to be, Father, that we carefully consider the things that we might say to one another and to people outside of this place. And Father, guide us as your Holy Spirit does to say the right things at the right time, to share the words and to just share our life with you, Father, that we may come to a knowledge that Jesus died and rose again and saved us from hell. And Father, we just want everyone else to know that. Father, we ask all these things in your holy name. Amen.